If you're looking for ways to prioritize your health and fitness, run more efficiently, understand food, and somehow fit it all into a fun and family-centered life, you're in the right place. This is the Real Life Runners Podcast, and we're your hosts, Kevin and Angie Brown. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get running. Thank you so much for joining us on another episode of the Real Life Runners Podcast. We are your hosts, Angie and Kevin Brown. And I'm very excited about today's topic uh, because today we're reaching into sports psychology, which I think is fascinating. And I know that it just makes Angie smile through the entire episode. It totally does. Yeah. Being a psych major in college, I just absolutely love the field of psychology and how the human brain works and how that affects us in our everyday life. Just absolutely love that stuff. Yeah, and the one psych class that I took in college, I scored well in, so that's a win. Intro. Yes. <laughs> yes, intro. <laughs> it's like intro psych. Wasn't that like an open book course? It was an too? open book course that I had to take a, a computer test every single week. Did it was you awesome. ever even have to go to class? No, it was entirely online. You had to show up once a week to the computer lab and take a test. Wow. I know. <laughs> so we've got a psych pro over here. <laughs> so today we are going to delve into this world of sports psychology, and we're going to start by talking about the book How Bad Do You Want It by Matt Fitzgerald. Um, I love this book. I just I like what Matt Fitzgerald writes in most of his books because of the way that he writes. It's a very I don't know, a, a conversational, but there's so much fact in it also. You can see that there's a lot of, of heart and, and soul into what he writes. Well, he puts a lot of research into everything that he writes, and then he kind of tries to bring it down to make it more understandable to everyone else that doesn't have that scientific background, which is nice. Right, but I think that's where I like it is because I've got the engineering background that I like. I like that I can see there was a lot of research put into it. Absolutely. So in this book, um, Matt Fitzgerald goes into some of the um, new science that's out there, like about endurance sports and what can lead to improved um, performance in endurance sports, especially, um, you know, the psychological factors that go into it. Right. Because for years and years, people have done research into, you know, the chemistry inside of muscles and, you know, what to eat and things of that nature and how to physically get yourself closer to a limit. And if you, you kind of watch like the, the world record in the marathon or the mile, it's moving closer to a limit, but it's the steps are getting smaller and smaller as people make these physical jumps to get closer to what the body can physically do. The question is what now, how do we get any further? Right. And so obviously anyone that's ever run before realizes what a mental game running is like, you know, so much of running is mental. Like, I mean, there's people that say, you know, 90% of running is mental because it's, it's you basically fighting against yourself and telling yourself to push yourself harder and push yourself faster. And, you know, just try to ignore all the pain that you're feeling during the run. I mean, over the, the decade plus of coaching high school athletes, I can tell you that when a race has several spots where people are going to be able to cheer for you. It doesn't matter if they cheer. It doesn't matter if when you go by past them, they literally could boo at you. The fact that you, <laughs> that they can see you throughout the race, you're going to tell yourself, Oh wait, well, around this turn, they get to see me again. And around mm -hmm. this turn, they get to see me again. It's all that time where you're off by yourself mm -hmm. where the, the, it's like, well, if I want to go faster, 
I need to tell myself I need to go faster. No one's watching. No one's checking to make sure I'm going fast enough. It's all what's happening between your ears. Right. Yeah. I mean, running is just so, so mental. So in the 1990s, there became um, there was a new model of endurance performance that became more popular um, that was called the psychobiological model. Um, and this was primarily developed by uh, a scientist named Sam- Samuel Marcora. And um, so that's kind of what Fitzgerald kind of goes into in the book to kind of explore this um, this mind body connection of, of how things that we tell ourselves psychologically can translate into improved performance in endurance sports. Which which is awesome because everyone's always trying to see just how fast they can push themselves. You know, there's so many different training plans out there. If you do this, you get faster. If you do this, you get faster. And there's a lot of numbers involved with it. Right. And unless you're really exploring and pushing yourself mentally, it's unclear how close to your limits you're actually going to get. Right, exactly. So according to the new psychobiological model, basically, um, Marcora says that the athlete doesn't really hit a physical wall ever. Like you never push yourself to 100% of your physical capacity because we automatically as human beings limit ourselves from reaching that physical limit. So we like, we pull back, we automatically hold some in the tank and we never actually push ourselves to our full physical capability. Yeah, no, I've got a total good story for this one. Oh, good. All right. So first marathon I ever ran, I'm pretty sure that I reached my physical limit mentally. I'm pretty sure I reached my physical limit somewhere around mile 21. Okay. That's typically the wall, right? Right. Oh, it's, it's the wall. You can't possibly get through it. There's a physical limit. Your body can't carry enough energy. There's all sorts of stuff on the wall. Right. Because people like to, you know, talk about glycogen depletion and all these other physiological factors that would lead to you reaching the wall. Sure. And, and there are, there's some truth to the physical limits, but, but either way, I knew somewhere around there, there's no way that I can keep going. I, I'm going to slow down. And I did, I definitely slowed down a lot over those last few miles. And then I crossed the finish line. And if I was at my physical limit, I pretty much should have crossed the finish line and just laid down and just dropped at that point. Right. And I didn't. I kept walking past the finish line. Mm-hmm. They give you a towel. I found you guys at the yeah, finish you came line. Yeah, found us in that humongous like waiting area right. where all the spectators are supposed to like meet up. Uh, it was amazing how fast you guys got to the finish line, by the way. I have no idea how you did that because <laughs> in my head, I saw you within about five seconds of crossing the finish line. Mm-hmm. And I made it through and there was pizza and breakfast and I, I I was able to just walk over and do all these things without, I mean, it hurt, but I was still going. Right. So clearly I was way under my physical limit, but right. I had, I wanted to slow down because it hurt. Right. And I mean, that's basically one of the things he even says in the book is like, you know, when you finish a race, like you automatically feel better, like immediately just because you're done running. Yes. So it's like, it's your own perception of I'm done putting in that effort, so now I feel better. So it's it wasn't the actual physical limit that was limiting you that entire time. And it was to an extent, but um, it was your perceived level of effort that you were putting in. And to you know, in your mind, you were tapped out. You know, you were like, "This is it. This is as much as I can do." You know, you were putting everything you had into it. So your perception was that you were completely empty in the tank. And then as soon as you finish that race you start walking and you start, you know, doing other things and that effort has ceased. So you automatically feel better. Right. 
And then you start feeling, wow, I really should have pushed faster for those last five miles. <laughs> yeah, that's the worst. <laughs> I, that was that was what happened to me at the end of that one 5K that I ran in April. Yes. Like I, I finished that 5K and I crossed the line and I saw my time and it was like, you know, three seconds away from my PR. And I was like, gosh, darn it. You know, like... Like three, I totally could have pushed seconds. harder than that. Right. Like you cross the line and you're like, okay, I'm done. And you're like, shoot, like I want to go run the race again because I'm like upset that my time wasn't where what I wanted it to be. I did not want to immediately go run the marathon again. <laughs> I, I wanted to shove the pancake into my mouth and then shove the next one into my mouth. Yes. <laughs> that was my plan at the time, the actually. Oh, that, the beer sounds like such a good idea as you head towards it, and then you start drinking it, and you realize that it's still only like 9.30 in the morning right. because the marathon starts so early. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, I, I really don't want this anymore. Right, right. I mean, and you know, one real-world example that I think most people can kind of relate to to prove that this is true is, you know, the idea of running with music. You know, when you run run with music, um, running just seems easier, you know, then they've done lots of research studies about this as well. The effects of music on athletic performance. When you listen to music, you automatically go faster because it doesn't seem as hard because the music just distracts you from what you're actually feeling in your body. Right. I, I'm hoping that the same thing works for podcasts because I've started listening to a lot more as I run. And, I think uh, so. I mean, because it should, right? It, it's really, it's whatever it is. It's, it's distraction. It's part of the idea of running in a group. You know, there's mm-hmm. the group effort that as as a, a group of people, you guys are all going to push forward. You don't want to fall off the back of it. You're not going to try and surge and leave people behind. But especially if you're having a conversation with the people around you, Mm -hmm. that's distracting from what you're doing. Right. And you don't notice how hard it is. Exactly. That's true. And so, um, so this new psychobiological model basically says that athletes can gain an advantage not by having more to give, but by giving more of what they have. And I love that quote from the book, you know, because it's, you, you like think about it for a second. You're like, it's not always how fit you are, but it's how, willing you are to push yourself to that limit. Like it's in the movie, um, the Prefontaine movie, Without mm-hmm. Limits. You know, that was one of the things he says in that. Like that was his superpower. I mean, that, that's what he says over. I mean, it's the, the underlying theme going through the whole limit is Pre says over and over, I'm not that good. Right. I don't have talent, but I'm willing to endure more pain than anybody else. Mm-hmm. That's, that's my trick is mm-hmm. I can overcome more pain. And I mean, that's a pretty solid argument. You know, the, the counter to that is you can't just block out pain pain and turn anybody into an Olympian. Right. There has, there are some physical things that you need, but once you, once you're trying to make big breakthroughs, a good chunk of it is mental. Mm -hmm. A good chunk of it is what can I block out? What, what bars am I putting in front of me that aren't really there? I need to get through and get to the other side. Right. Exactly. So in this book, he kind of goes through, um, these, this idea of mental fitness, which is, you know, how we kind of cope with the discomfort that we experience during whatever sport it is that we're engaging in, you know? So he basically says, you know, there are a set of coping skills that you can do and there are things that you can do to try to, you know, get over each of those little hurdles um, and kind of train yourself to deal with the pain and the discomfort and that perception of your own effort in, in new ways to try to get a little bit more out of yourself. 
So one of the big ideas, and this works really well with both running and in real life, is that you can't just show up. You can't just go through the motions day in and day out. Mm -hmm. And in a race or in running in general, just going out the door every day is not necessarily going to make you a better person. You have to see what's in front of you as a challenge and as a way to learn and improve yourself going forward. Right. So you have to, you know, like you said, you have to recognize that there is a challenge and then try to figure out a way to rise above it and get past it, which, you know, are the coping skills that he talks about in this book. Yeah. Do it better today than you did it yesterday. Right. So, I mean, the title of the book is How Bad Do You Want It? So I I love that because like he says in the book, that is basically uh, an invitation to self-exploration, you know, just asking yourself that question, how bad do you want it? That's making you think about it. Like, how bad do I want this? How much do I want to push myself? How do I want to get over these challenges? Yeah, the the phrase that he put out there, because I mean, that's his line, an invitation to self-exploration. He had me. I'm like, yes. Like, what is it that I can actually do to push farther? Like, yeah, okay, maybe you can see success in some areas, but what are you doing to take it one level further? What's that next move? Do you actually want to move forward? How bad do you want the next thing? Or are you just comfortable where you are? Right. And the thing that I love also about kind of what he says is, you know, these athletes that are going to develop these more effective coping skills, they see the challenges that they encounter in sport as also challenges to who they are as a person. It's how it's, it's a, it's a challenge to their very identity and their very self. It's not just themselves as an athlete or like themselves as a runner. It's, it's who am I? What am I willing to put myself through? And it's the same thing just in life in general. You know, it's, That's so much of, you know, what we go through in life. I mean, life has challenges. We get stuff thrown at us every single day and we have to figure out how it is we're going to deal with it. You know, some people want to just kind of hide under a rock or stick their head in the sand and just pretend that these things aren't happening. And those typically aren't very (laughs) effective coping skills. Not the most ideal strategy. (laughs) Um, You know, they can they can maybe work for a short time period, you know, to to let people get through certain certain aspects of their life or certain things. But um, ultimately, you know, you want to use each experience in your life um, to grow as a person and as a human being and try to learn something about yourself and the world around you. Right. The the strategy of disappear for a while only works if while you're disappearing, you're planning on how to make your big comeback. <laughs> you know, I, it's it, same thing happens when you're in a race. If you're going to slow down for a couple of miles, you better be slowing down because you're gearing up for that surge at the end of the race. Something's got to be coming. So one of my favorite races that we run is the little Christmas 5k that we put on at the high school that I teach at. And one of my goals since we've started having it is to never lose to a high school kid. Mm -hmm. So the one year, uh, a kid who wasn't from our high school, didn't coach him and is a very, very good kid. I coached against him all through the cross country season. He shows up because his cousin goes to our school and he's there stretching at the starting line. I'm like, oh, oh, this is going to be a tough one. And they fired the gun and I decided I'm not going to lead this thing. Let's just let him go and see what he can do. And I just sat back and sat back and sat back and let him feel as though he was controlling the race. And there it's basically, it's a box. So it's got several 90 degree turns in it. And at one point, and it was early in the race, we were just over a mile into the three mile race. 
I made a move and it was way too hard of a move to go with two miles left in the race. Like there was no way I could sustain that all the way through, but I also knew he couldn't sustain that all the way through. Right. So it's like, Hey kid, what do you want to do on this random 5k? Like he had just pushed himself in the cross country state meet. And now it's this local like road race. Does he care that much? Right. You know, whereas my family was there. My, I got students that are there cheering. Oh, I hope Mr. Brown can win it. <laughs> you know, like it, it meant something to me. So yeah. I surged and it hurt and it hurt a lot. And I knew that it was hurting and I could tell myself the more this hurts me, the more it hurts him. So if I can just keep pushing, he's going to stop earlier. Mm -hmm. I just have to go. Plus I, I kind of know exactly where all the quarter mile marks are on that entire loop. Yeah. So I knew how hard I had to push. I knew how far I was pushing. Mm -hmm. So it, uh, it helped. And eventually he just backed off completely yeah. and basically accepted second place. Yeah. And so I, I had won it with, I don't know, a mile and a half still to go in the race because right. he had accepted second. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, I guess, another thing that kind of leads us nicely into one of the coping strategies that um, he talks about in the book is about accepting that there's going to be pain and accepting that there's going to be a certain level of pain, bracing yourself for that pain um, is, is a, a very effective coping strategy, according to some of these um, research studies that are out there. And then, of course, just real real world examples of it. Um, and basically what they say, is, you know, according to this model is that athletes regulate themselves based on um, how hard they feel like they're working, right? So, you, it's the whole idea of pacing yourself, you know, how hard do you think you're working? How hard does it feel to you? That's, um, how hard, you know, or that's how you know how hard to push yourself, right? Right. It's the difference between running a hundred meters and running a marathon. Like in a hundred meters, you don't really have to think about it all that much. You just sprint as far as you can to the end of that straightaway, mm -hmm. which is why, you know, little kids are able to run to the end of a straightaway. Right. But if you get like a first or second grader and tell them to run an entire way, an entire lap, right. they can't do it. It's a whole way around the circle. They'll sprint and then they'll look over and see, be like, wait, I have to get all the way back to the end. Their pacing strategy aren't quite all fully developed. Well, of course not, you know? <laughs> um, so, so it, you know, there's certain things that kind of go into that of how much, how we perceive our effort. Like one of them is how bad, how important is that race to you? Like, like what you were saying, like that Christmas 5k was important to you. So you were willing to sustain a higher level of pain than, and you were hoping that he was not willing to sustain <laughs> that because you were thinking it meant more to you than it did to him. And, and I totally guessed correctly. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's obviously circumstantial, you know, it, de depending on what race you're doing, you know, you might be more willing to push yourself during one race versus another race. And the same thing applies to life. It depends on what kind of project you're undergoing, right. you know, it, how a lot of people, how closely connected to your family it is, you know, do yeah. I have to push myself really hard for my kids? Because I'm probably pretty willing to go a whole heck of a lot farther because it's for my kids. Yeah. You know, you see that a lot all the time. Right. Right. And, and so, and then another thing that, that, um, kind of controls how hard you think you're working is where is the finish line? You know, are you able to see the finish line or do you have no concept of how far you are from the finish line? You know, because that's why they say, you know, that that middle part of the race is like the hardest because it's not that first, um, you know, the first 
part of the race is like all the adrenaline and everybody's going and, you know, it's the start of the race. It's, it's, it's all the excitement and stuff. And then there's that middle part, you know, so if we're talking about a 5k, like that middle mile and, and not a lot of time, you know, there's not always people there either. You know, there's not a people cheering like there is at the beginning and at the end, you know? And so that middle mile is hard to sustain that level of effort. And then, you know, when you hit that, the end of the race, then you know that the finish line is close by. So you're able to give more of what you have because you know that you don't have to keep it in reserve just so that you don't like die later. Right. I mean, the the hardest race to run would be a race where someone tells you it's around five miles. Mm hmm. And you have no idea where the finish line is. Right. Like, how do you how do you judge how much you have left? If you can see a, a finite finish line, you're like, oh, all I have to do is get to there. This is exactly how much energy I can give right now. Mm-hmm. When it's a vague idea out in the front, so you know, putting out a solid goal, knowing where you have to get to, that's a, that's a real nice way to to get there better. Yeah. So one of the things that he was talking about in the book that I really liked. Um, he talked about how perceived effort has two different layers. So number one, it's how you actually feel while you're running um, or performing whatever, you know, sport. Ouch. Yeah. (laughs) And then it's how you feel about how you feel. Yes. Right. So, you know, it's, it's like what, what the the sensations that you're actually experiencing in your body, like the muscle tightening or the, the heavy breathing or the side stitch, if you're having an unlucky race, Yes, you know, and then, and then it's also like how that also makes you feel. So then you're like, so say you get a side stitch in the middle of a race and you're like, gosh, darn it, shoot. You know, like I have a, I have a side stitch now. And then you get upset about that. And then that also kind of leads into how much or how hard it feels. Right. Because right? when you're upset about something, like it's going to feel harder. Well, yeah. And if you've had side stitches in the last like three races and another one shows up, yeah. you got two options. You can either get even more frustrated that that side stitch came back again, mm-hmm. or you can be like, well, I had it in the last three races and I didn't die. So let's see what happens if I just pretend it's not there. Mm-hmm. I've made it so- this far. That's pain in my side instead of being able to see the pain in my legs. Maybe there's a bright side to this. I've, mm-hmm. I, if you can say, I've done this before and made it through, it's going to be uncomfortable, but I'm in a race. It's always going to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. That's, that's helpful. You know, right. you need to have the most positive outlook towards whatever circumstances you've got. Yeah. And that totally ties into, you know, a lot of the research on the psychology of pain right now. Like, you know, when, when you expect pain, basically there's a lot of research that says there's two ways that you can look at it. You can either accept that there's going to be pain. Um, and you're going to tell yourself like, this is going to hurt, but it's not going to be worse than the last time, you know, like yes. exactly what you were talking about. Um, or you can deny that the pain, you're, you could suppress it and say, I really hope this doesn't hurt as bad as it did, <laughs> as it did last time, you know, uh, which, which I've heard kids say on the starting line. Yeah. Like I've literally heard them say, coach, if I, if I just run the same time, it's not going to hurt as much. Right. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, Oh, this is not going to go well for you. Right. Because yes, it's, it's also going to hurt. It might not hurt quite as bad, but there's still going to be some pain. And if your whole goal here is to just get around all discomfort, Mm -hmm. racing and pushing yourself physically is, is not going to be a great option for you. Right. Exactly. So the more effective coping skill in that, um, in the, between those two things would be the acceptance. Go ahead and accept that there's going to be pain, accept that it's going to hurt. Um, even, even go as far as to tell yourself, like, this is going to be the hardest race of my life. You know, this is going to, this is going to hurt and it's going to hurt bad, but then it's going to be done. 
Right. Because if you set yourself up for this is going to be ridiculous and it's not, then you're going to start feeling better, especially as you start having that actual finite finish line where you're like, yes, I don't feel that bad. And there's the finish. Yeah. Yeah. So not only do you have to brace yourself, but you also have to learn how to pace yourself. Nice. Good work. I like the rhyme. Yeah. Thanks. So, I mean, as an endurance athlete, it's all about pacing, right? Because, I mean, there's been a lot of research that has shown um, that people cannot sustain maximum intensity exercise for more than 30 seconds. They just naturally hold themselves back. Like they've, they tried, um, there was like this one research study that he was talking about in the book and, um, they had athletes just cycle at maximum intensity for like 15, 30, 45 seconds. And based on the, you know, scientific research that they did, they found out that anything over 30 seconds, they just, naturally hold back a little bit. I thought that study was fascinating. They're like, as soon as it went beyond 30, they opened off slower than they could. Right. No, no, no. Go as hard as you possibly can. No, I am. They didn't even, they were, they thought they were going all out, yeah. but their body wouldn't even it was let unconscious. them do it. Yeah. It's amazing. It's yeah. awesome. It was so cool. So, um, you know, each athlete, like when you say go at maximum intensity, I mean, that's just a feeling that they have. They thought that they were going at maximum intensity, but when they looked at the numbers and all the other scientific like data, the, the power output, right, who knows what, all else. of the data in the research, they were, they found out that those athletes weren't actually going at their maximum intensity level as it, as you know, to the same level as, um, if they only had to do a 15 second or a 30 second effort. I mean, I've seen this over and over coaching cross country. You tell a kid, start your kick, go, go all out right now. Yeah. And they'll take it to another level. But as soon as they're like four steps away from the finish line, there's another level. Right. They, they weren't going all out. Right. They, wait until those last three steps. Watch this. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I, I love seeing that like with our new like freshman runners and like, you know, our <laughs> brand new runners that have no idea how to pace themselves. Like it's so funny. Like even on like just relaxed everyday runs, like all of a sudden they'll, they'll go out run and then they'll just like sprint to the finish for, yes. you know, and, and they'll, or they'll say like, I'm dead coach. Like I'll, I'll, you'll see them a quarter mile away from the finish line and they're dying, you know, like They've got this look on their face. And then somehow, like the last, you know, 50 meters, they're sprinting all out. Yes. And and then they're laughing and playing with each other afterwards. You, right. weren't, you weren't dying at all. You're, Braiding each other's hair. You're, you're doing strides. You're doing drills. And, and you're happy. Like you clearly could have been going harder earlier. Yeah, that's definitely one of the challenges of coaching and running in general is teaching people how to pace themselves. I know that it's something that I'm definitely still working on myself, trying to teach myself how to pace myself. You know, I remember my last 5k teaching myself, like, I shouldn't ever really feel comfortable in this. You know, the race isn't long enough for me to ever feel comfortable. Like I just have to keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing. Um, and learning, you know, how hard can I push while still being able to have enough in the tank to finish the whole race? I mean, that's the trick so much of these races. And it's why, you know, because pacing is so tricky to get it perfect, most people can cross the finish line and then be able to look at their watch and be like, well, I could have gone a little bit faster than that. Right. What if around this turn, I, I didn't slow down or right here, if I didn't, maybe I could have done this. There's so many tiny details to mm-hmm. get it perfect that, you know, you can take off another second or another three seconds. Right. So, you know, at the beginning when we like, 
cross country season first starts, we give these kids like, you know, you should try to base your running on your effort level. How hard do you feel like you're pushing yourselves? And then as they get going and kind of have an understanding of what certain paces feel like, we start to give them time goals and, and, you know, paces that we would like them to start hitting. And there was actually a, a research said, um, research study done in the journal of sports science that showed that athletes who, have specific time-based goals are actually able to improve their performance better than people that are just told to go out there and do your best. Right. But we still are, are slightly struggling with this because none of them will ever put a watch on their wrist. Well, that's a different story. Apparently, it's not cool to wear a watch when you're in high school. Oh, is that it? I think that's part of it. I don't know. But one of the other things that I thought was so cool that that one other research study in the book, um, there was a research study from the University of California that looked at the finishing times of marathons. Like, they, did you see this one? Yeah, this is the, the clustering the one. The clustering one. It's so funny. So they found that there was clusters of finish times around the round numbers, like four hours or four and a half hours or five hours. Like, well, Because no one's going to make a goal of, I'd like to finish this race in four hours and seven minutes. Everyone puts their goal of four. Right. And so you have so many people surging to that goal, being just under, just over. Right. That's that's the big goal. Yeah. And so they, they found clusters of finishers around each of those goals because each of those finishers had that time goal in mind. I, I can't remember. It wasn't in this book. It was in something else, probably, probably a Runner's World article. But there were a couple of big races where they went through and really pulled out the age groups and everything and found age group clusters right around their Boston Marathon qualifying times also. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So the the other thing that I thought was really interesting was that they found out that the runners that were in those clusters that were closer to those round numbers, they also slowed down less at the end of the marathon. Like, so they had that time goal in mind and you know, they're probably checking their miles splits and everything. And so they didn't slow down as much as like the other people in the race. Um, like if, when, when they look at their miles split times, you know, because they were pushing themselves to try to get to that number. Right. When you know that the next mile has to go in nine minutes, as opposed to the next mile has to go pretty hard. There's a big difference there, mm-hmm. you know, and having that specific goal out there really helps, you know, exactly how hard you need to push. Yeah. And uh, another aspect of this whole idea is that when you have a goal, when you have a specific time goal, um, your perception is also based on how attainable that goal is. How, you know, do you think that you can actually reach that goal? Or is that goal just so far out there, you think there's no way I can ever achieve it? This is also such a hard one with the high school kids because, you know, you and I can look at them and be like, oh, you ran 36 minutes and you're capable of running 26 minutes. But telling them that they can PR by 10, 10 minutes is right. ridiculous. And it seems impossible to right. them. Right. So you have to you have to bridge the gap and tell them, no, you got a couple of minutes and then you got a couple more minutes mm-hmm. and, and bring it down in manageable steps. Absolutely. Like we had an athlete this weekend who, um, well, it was actually fun because I had a meeting with the girls team. Um, You went off and met with the boys, but in my girls group, I had all of my girls give me a specific time goal for their race this weekend. So I made each of them go around and they had to say it out loud in front of the rest of their team so that they actually made the goal real. And every single one of them hit their goal time. One of them actually even hit the goal exactly. Like she jokingly said, 
I want to run 23 minutes and 23 seconds and literally ran 23-23, which was crazy. I mean, she walked the final three steps as she was looking at the clock, so she hit it perfectly. <laughs> she did <laughs> No, she that did girl not. never walked anything. She that doesn't. was a full sprint oh, at the yeah. finish line, yeah, I guarantee. She, she pushes hard every time. But I mean, it's you know, it's, it was amazing to me that like all of these kids, hit, you know, hit their goal times. And I think that a lot of that was just the fact of, you know, just saying it out loud and... um having that other, you know, accountability of like their teammates heard them. Yes. So now it's real. Yes. That makes it so much more real. Yeah. On the guy's side, we just uh, held hands and sang Kumbaya. No, oh, that's nice. No, we had goals too. Yeah. One of the kids' goals though was literally, I just want to be able to sprint at the end of the race. Right. Which was impressive because he sprinted to the win at the end of the race. That's all he wanted to do. He wanted to, he wasn't, he didn't say I want to sprint and win. He just said, I want to be able to sprint at the end. Mm -hmm. And he dueled head to head against another kid for three miles. But his goal was, I need to sprint at the end. And that, that was the goal he went for and he won. Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty awesome to watch him do that. Um, so I think that key is you want that goal to be, um, attainable. So it needs to be realistic, but it also needs to be, far enough that it pushes you to a point where you hadn't really been before. Right. You have to be a little bit out of your comfort zone. You've got to go into a place of discomfort so that you know that you're actually advancing. Right. The same thing happens in life. You can't just coast through. If you want to actually move forward, if you want to actually make progress in anything, your goal has to be a little bit beyond where you think you can get. Like, yeah. Oh, I, I'm pretty sure I can get to there. What if I go just a little bit further? Yeah. That's where you got to put the goal. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I've been loving all these, like, different books and personal development things that I've been doing lately. And that's one of the things they all say is, you know, life begins outside of your comfort zone. You know, that's one of the things you hear. Or, you know, you got to push yourself out of your comfort zone before you start to achieve anything real. Of course, yeah. I, I like the whole, you know, you have to give 105%. And then you read this book and it turns out, no, you're holding some in reserve. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to, to to be your best, you have to give, normally you're giving like 90. You have to give like 91%. Yeah. It's really what you're going for. Right, right. And then the other thing I thought that is, that's interesting that I've heard of, you know, in, in some of these other books and podcasts and things is when you feel fear, you know, when you feel that self-consciousness and that fear of stepping outside your comfort zone and into something new that you've never tried before – that fear is kind of telling you that you're moving in the right direction. Yeah, that's a good a good road post along the way. Yeah. You know, I got I have two paths in the road. That one looks uncomfortable and makes me a little nervous and that one seems much more pleasant. All right, I'm going to pick the one that I'm going to pick that less that more challenging one. Right. That that's the actual path I need. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's being able to step outside your comfort zone like you said and just go a little bit further each time and then, you know, before you know it, every little step out of your comfort zone, you you turn around and your comfort zone is way in the past and and, and suddenly you have a podcast and you're trying to help other people figure out how to get outside of their comfort zone. <laughs> hey, how about that? <laughs> So, so yeah. So anyway, um, lots of great lessons from this book that apply to both of our running and our just lives in general. And we'll be continuing this series, um, in the next episode and talking about some of the, some of the future chapters, um, once we start reading into those. So if you have been enjoying our podcast, we would absolutely love you forever. If you were to just go over to iTunes and leave us a review, um, every review is so, so helpful to help, you know, 
push our show up so that more people can find us when they go into iTunes and search for podcasts that they would like to listen to. Plus, it just makes our day to be able to read your reviews. It really, it makes for an awesome experience. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. So head on over to iTunes, leave us a review, and we will catch you guys next week. Bye.